Hello everyone, and welcome to the Board Game Dojo's Quick Hit series, where we go over a topic in about 15 minutes. Once a month, we always go over some of the games we played in the previous month. Some of them good, and some of them not so hot. We are a little bit late on this month's edition, but I guess better late than never. Well, here is this month's edition of hits and misses for the games we played in February. Start off with we played a bunch of five three five, which I almost always call five thirty five, and you'll see that in my interview with Ryan Campbell. I am sorry about that. Now, one reason for all of these plays is because we have an upcoming board game battles video on YouTube where we figure out if this or Pin Combi Trio, another game we've done a video review for, is the best introductory climbing shedding game. While spoiling too much of the video, both games are really quite good. 535 is, like I said, a climbing shedding game, meaning players go around the table trying to play higher cards than the player before them, trying to get rid of their hand of cards before everyone else. So if the player before me plays a one, for example, I need to play a higher card than a one. Or if the player before me plays a pair of twos, I need to play a higher pair of twos. If I can't do it, I pass. That's kind of the gist of a general climbing game. But five three five does a couple of interesting things to put a unique spin on this traditional card game style. Instead of, for example, if the player before me plays a pair of threes and I can't beat that, instead of passing, if I had a three in my hand, I could add a three to the pair, making it like I played a three of a kind. And now the player after me has to beat a three of a kind of threes. What this does is give more flexibility and keeps the momentum going. Traditional climbers tend to lose steam when players start dipping out, and actually many games use this kind of break in the action as a time to chat. But lately, games have been more focused on the play, keeping that game state flowing. With I think the best example being Scout. Five three five actually did it first, and I like that keeping the game going lowers the play time needed and keeps everyone engaged in the game. You never quite feel out of it because if the player before you adds something to a run, now maybe it's possible for you to play. It keeps you interested in everyone's turns, even if you feel like you're losing. The other interesting thing it does is it reverses the power of cards and runs. We are all used to games when a 12 is higher than a 10, and this is true of the singles and sets or pairs, which I called them earlier. But runs are backwards, meaning that an 11, 12, 13 run is actually weaker than a run of 1, 2, 3. What this does is make every card in your hand a possible strong card. Getting dealt a hand of all low cards then is not necessarily a bad thing, like it is in other climbing games. It means that you don't actually know how good or bad your hand is until you start to play. Which means that again, there is a lot of flexibility. We will go over this game more in our video review, as I don't want to spend half this episode talking about the game. But it has been a staple in my collection for years, and I'm glad that it has now come out for people abroad to easily have access to. Plays feel snappy, and there are a lot of chances to feel clever, both for a good play or just for making the most out of your hand. Something you can feel proud of, and the others can see as well. It might be a bit of choice overload for some, and we have had a few people be a bit overwhelmed if they are completely new to the climbing concept. But overall, it's been a success a majority of the time, and we recommend getting yourself a copy even if you've played a lot of climbers yourself. It still offers interesting choices and lots of replayability, even for experienced groups. And that's five three five, designed by Kenichi Kabuki, with art by Sai Beppu, and published in the U.S. by Portland Game Collective, and in Japan by Game Noah. I was in a couple of board game arena tournaments this month. One of which being Martian Dice. Martian Dice is a game in which you roll dice. I know, very surprising based on the name, but you are trying to roll more spaceships than tanks. The tanks are the world weaponry trying to shoot you down. When all you're trying to do is abduct chickens, cows, and humans. I, I mean, I don't really see what the problem is. 
Whenever you roll a tank, you have to keep those. But for everything else, you can choose what category of item to keep. You have to keep all of that category. So for example, you would have to keep all the humans you roll or any of the cows you roll. Then you can choose to roll again or stop. Now there are a couple things to keep in mind here. You cannot choose the same category twice except spaceships. So once you choose the humans for one roll, you can't choose humans again. And also you need to tie or outnumber the tanks with your spaceships. If tanks outnumber your spaceships, at the end of your turn, you bust and get nothing. You get points for how many things you abduct, and you get bonus points for abducting all three types in one turn. First to 25 points, wins. As you can probably guess, this is a lucky dice fest that is just good fun. Online takes no time at all to play, and I'd imagine it's a very quick game in person as well. It's designed by Scott Alms, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, of the Tiny Epic series, and Claim, as well as many others, and I really only recommend it at two or three players, although it's fast enough that the online community also recommends it up to five. But again, I think it's really best at two or three. It's a game not to be taken too seriously, and I'm sure there's some kind of strategy to it, although my three wins in about 30 games means that I have not found that strategy. Hey, I only told you that I'll review and talk about games, not that I'm any good at them. This is kind of one of those games where I would bring it to a game night while you're waiting for others. Oh, we have five, ten minutes to kill. We don't want to use our brains too much. All right, well, let's play a game of Martian Dice. It's just silly fun and I think really appropriate to play with people of all ages. It kind of sits in that arena of zombie dice or even llama dice where you're getting a game that you're not going to fall in love with, I don't think particularly, but you're going to want to play because it's so simple and easy to get going and takes no time at all. Is it the best ever? No, and I don't think it's trying to be. Sometimes a good simple game is exactly what is needed. And that's Martian Dice, designed by Scott Alms, with art by Josh Capel, and published most recently by Tasty Minstrel Games. Gotten a few games of Root on the iPad this week, and I have to say, I'm liking the digital implementation so much that I ended up selling my physical copy. Now, yes, I know the digital implementation does not have all the expansions, but I've played that copy so much more than I've ever played the physical one. I guess I should back up. Root is a game in which you are basically playing out a war in the forest with woodland characters like cats, beavers, and birds. It is based off the coin series of games, meaning counterinsurgency, and the different factions have different powers and play extremely differently. For example, the birds are a programming game, meaning you need to plan out your entire turn before it starts, and if you can't do something, your leader is deposed. The vagabond just walks around the map, trying to help everyone to complete quests and get items. The first game you'll play of this will make absolutely no sense, because you need to know what everyone's faction can do to really plan much strategy. If you don't know how the Woodland Alliance works, for example, you don't know that you need to take them out whenever they start spreading sympathy, because they will absolutely run away with the game if you don't. It's actually for this reason that early games with new players usually have the Woodland Alliance winning. But this is kind of one of the reasons I like the digital implementation so much. I really couldn't wrap my head around the game at first, and use the digital tutorial to learn. I don't come from a background of war games or coin games, and the only GMT game I've played is Twilight Struggle. I'm not going to pretend to be knowledgeable about the genre or really where Root falls into it. But what I can say is that Root makes me interested in at least trying the games, when I didn't have any interest beforehand. Root is amazingly fun, and I've enjoyed all the time spent learning how to play with others at the table and playing each new faction, pondering its rules and strategies, and learning how they play. Of course, the digital implementation loses that bit of playing the other people at the table, but I have to recommend it because it's just so dang good for getting in games whenever you feel like it. I would also recommend having people grab it if you are planning on playing the physical copy for game night soon. 
Sure, it seems counterintuitive to buy the digital game before you play it, but I think the $6 it costs to buy it on the iPad is worth it. Each player can learn the faction they are playing and maybe do a tutorial where they can see how it interacts with the other clans. It means that you don't have to do much, if any, teach, which is one of the hardest parts of the first game of Root. And the people at the table already have a semblance of strategy, meaning you could start playing the people at the table rather than battling the rulebook from the very first game. Root has garnered a lot of praise and attention, and it has deserved every bit of it. And that's Root, designed by Cole Worley and with art by Kyle Farron and published by Leader Games. Finally, I introduced Star Realms to my wife this past month, and that was one of the more solid hits I've had recently with her. Star Realms is an extremely streamlined two-player deck building game that has a space theme, but you really don't need to care about that. It's really all about culling that deck, getting combos, and depleting your opponent's health points. There are four groups of cards in the game that generally are good at something. Red is good at culling cards in your deck. Yellow is good at making your opponent have to discard cards from their hand. Blue is good at getting you coins and health, and green is great for comboing. I know that a lot of that was me making up the terms, and I know that there's actual names for the factions, but generally that's what I'm thinking about when I play. Ultimately, it's all about buying the right cards in the market row, and then figuring out when to switch from buying the cards in the market row and doing little damage to absolutely culling everything that doesn't do damage and trying to destroy your opponent. There are so many ways to win this game, and it's fun to play repeated rounds against the same opponent. While I introduced it to my wife using the box set that comes with the first expansion, we only played with the core set and had a lot of fun. I then gave her the iPad version I have that has a campaign, and she was able to get a lot better at it really quickly by playing through that, which made it even more fun the next time we played physically. Star Realms is one of those games that I really never tire of. No matter how many games start throwing in things to make deck building more complex or more strategic, there's something so satisfying about how clean Star Realms is. It says, yep, This is a deck building game, nothing else. Everything good and bad about deck building as a genre is right here for all to see. Yes, there's Clank that adds push your luck elements, and yes, there's Endless Winter that adds, well, the kitchen sink. But when I'm craving a deck building experience, I'm going to continue reaching for Star Realms for how quickly it plays, how many expansions there are to give continuous variety, and how satisfying the combos are. It continues to be cheap to get into, and that makes it even easier for me to recommend to you. I do hear Hero Realms is better and much the same game with a fantasy theme, but I haven't played that. If that's more your alley, take a look at that one as well. And that's Star Realms, designed by Robert Doherty and Darwin Castle, with art by Vito Gesualdi, and published by Wise Wizard Games. And that's going to do it for today's quick hits and misses. We have quite the announcement, and that is that we now have a Patreon with two tiers of support at the moment. We aren't going to shout this out super often, but this week with the launch, we just want to let you know about it. There's two of us that put these and the YouTube content together, so any support is much appreciated. Of course, only if you can afford to give. We will put the link in the description below. And as always, let us know what you think about today's games or really anything on our Twitter and Instagram. And if you enjoy the content, leave a five-star review on your podcast app so more people can find us. That's all for today. Until next time, as always, thank you so much for listening today. Janne. Janne.